Hello, my soul-seeking friends. It's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul Podcast. Enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we have Padma Aeon Prakasha. Padma is a 21st century wisdom author, transformational teacher, and public speaker bringing together ancient wisdom and modern science. Padma is a master of vibrational medicine through sound, translating the art and science of vibration to create moving and alchemical immersions, and is taught in over 22 countries, spreading wisdom from Western and Eastern sacred traditions. He's joining us today to tell us about his new book, Shiva's Hologram a teaching on sound consciousness in the Vedic tradition. So thank you so much for being with me, Padma. It's a pleasure to meet you and an honor to have you on Sense of Soul. Hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Nice to meet you. I like your what's behind you, storytellers and lovers of all kinds. The planet desperately needs, yeah, more peacemakers, healers, restorers. My best friend Mandy bought me that years ago fantastic i love it yeah <laughs> yeah i usually have my sense of soul behind me but i don't know that's been speaking to me so i've stopped putting on my fake background and and just been connecting with that yeah it's more authentic it no, is. The fake, fake backgrounds i don't really like either I, yeah you want to be yeah. real <laughs> yeah you know what just recently, I, I watched a video that talked about authenticity and talked about how there was this experiment they did where they measured the energy of groups of people who were focused on different things. And authenticity showed up as 4,000 times the energy of love, which was so sad to me at first. But then I thought that's because we don't love unconditionally. If we did, it would have showed up in the authentic group. Well, that's the ultimate authenticity, isn't it? But yeah, it makes sense to me. And um, me too. Yeah, kind of one of my personal mottos has always been be yourself. And if you want to do something, do it 100% or don't do it at all. Yeah, that's kind of something I've always lived by. So I love that. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I just saw that same video like three hours ago. What? Well, guess what? My friend just sent it to me yesterday and she said, what do you think about it? And I said, I do believe that love would probably reign over all. However, it has to be authentic. Yeah. So, yeah. It has to be coming because you want to. Yeah. Not, Not with all the conditions. I love you because of this. I love, and we don't love ourselves this way. So, you know, it's hard to love that way outside of ourselves as well that's amazing that you just saw that <laughs> yeah yeah i was quite impressed by it. i was like yeah that's a great confirmation and yeah if you are being authentic like an angel's being authentically an angel and the demon is authentically being a demon then that's fantastic they're, they're totally doing whatever they're being created to do 
So they're totally living their role, their sole purpose, their dharma. They're totally a, a cog in the wheel yeah. of creation. So it's perfect. It's like and people will judge the demon like, oh, no, you're a demon. You're so terrible. But actually, he's just doing whatever he's meant to be doing. Yeah. So and he's being authentic in it because he can't be an angel. He doesn't know how to be, but he knows how to be a demon. So he's being a demon. So it's like you have to salute those people and go, yeah, you're, you're totally doing what, what you're meant to be doing, what you've been created to do, you know, yeah. what your greatest gift is. Ah, it makes total sense to me. Me too. It makes total sense to me. I mean, how could it not be that? It's right. kind of my question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, I had someone on recently who I've only had this. Actually, you know, I think he might have been the first person. And I've interviewed over 400 people. And I was very shocked, but he was not authentic. And I knew this like within the first minute. And it was very difficult to stay even on an interview with him the whole time. And I definitely challenged him. And what did he have? Did he respond? Not very authentically. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I look forward to these conversations every day and it was disappointing. So, but I am looking forward to our conversation because I aligned so much with your journey and I've, I did get a chance to listen to some of your videos and just my journey has led me to much of the things that you speak of, but from a different path, like that inner wisdom, you know, the discovery of that within yourself that's been my journey and, and frequency and vibration was a huge part of that. Mm. Yeah. It's the basis of all things, isn't it? So it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and more and more people are discovering that. And I really feel in the next few years, it's going to really go to a whole nother level. But thank you so much for being with me. It's an honor and I can't wait to be your student today and to learn more from you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Where do you join me from? I'm in Spain. Oh, nice. I'm on the Costa Brava on the Spanish coast. I'm looking at mountains now. and I'm five minutes drive from the beach where I go almost every day, even in the winter and the sun is shining. Life is good. <laughs> nice. nice. I'm in Colorado. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. I do have beautiful scenery too. I can see the whole mountain range. Awesome. So, yeah. 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 From one side to the other of the state, I can see it. And it's gorgeous. The sunsets are ridiculous. <laughs> wow. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to be leaving Spain soon and moving stateside. And I'm probably going to be moving to Asheville, so okay. North Carolina. So I know Colorado quite well because my son was born there. And I, so I know Colorado quite well. It has a special affinity for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm originally from the South, um, mm -hmm. from Louisiana, from New Orleans. Right. I got a lot of yeah. history in me. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've got, what do they say? The melting pot of people, yeah. you know, in my blood. So, yeah. um, but it's I love a genetic that. soup. A genetic yes. soup. Let's just call it a gumbo. <laughs> gumbo. Genetic gumbo. <laughs> yes, exactly. A little spicy, right? Yeah. But I, there was a time I was so deep into my ancestry, mm. but that needed to be done. There was so yeah. much healing that needed to be done there. And it was when that finally, I never thought it was going to come to an end. Oh, it was so much. 
But then finally when it did, it was like I had created the space within me to receive this light, which was the inner wisdom that I never even knew existed. I'd always been seeking outside of myself. Yeah, the ancestors have been a big part of my journey too because there was quite a lot of trauma in my ancestral line on my father's side. So I had to really go through a lot of suffering and really experience it. I had to viscerally experience that suffering of my um, uh, father's side being raped and persecuted and murdered and ejected by the Muslims from the northern part of India, from Kashmir and just being you know booted out so of their home and where they'd been for like hundreds of years mm -hmm. so i had to literally experience that all in my body i felt that all in my cells for a period of time and it was it was very intense but only i could do it you yeah. know that was my dharma that was my sole purpose that was my gift both to myself and my son but also to all the ancestors as well to help you know, lighten the load on them. I mean, they still have to do their work uh, mm -hmm. through their own choice and their own direction and their own purpose and their own will. But I definitely did my part in it that no one else in my family could do. You know, my mm -hmm. brothers and my parents couldn't do that. But, you know, it, the, the, the chalice passes down to at least one person in the family to, you know, the buck stops here, you know, yeah, and right. here now, and that's our job. You know? Right. It's a timeless healing. Yeah, I think that people have really gone into their gene pool mm -hmm. and have affected the gene pool of humanity. I think their story or the path or the experience is very similar because to me, there's always like a Christ for the bloodline, to use that term. Mm -hmm. And there's always one person who is a Christ or the Messiah or the one who's going to help liberate or help be the savior for the bloodline. Not in the sense where you know, I'm going to do it and everything is healed. No, that's not how things work. It's like, I'm going to do it and that's going to lift the frequency of the entire ancestral line and give my ancestors the choices to make for their own healing. Whereas before they didn't have the choice yeah. to have healing or make their own steps because they were so burdened or they were so lost or they're so disassociated or so detached or just kind of wandering around in some parallel reality or astral world and just cursed or unable to move because they just didn't know what to do. So, yeah, I think for all of us who have made that movement, and it's not really a choice, it's something that we had to do or something that we chose to do, I think, even before we incarnated. Mm -hmm. And that by doing that, not only are we affecting ourselves and our children and our families and our ancestors, but we're affecting the whole gene pool of humanity. And that's really interesting to me, because the entire gene pool of humanity has to change in order for there to be a collective consciousness evolution slash revolution. It has to change our gene pool stock, the stock where every being is being birthed from. That has to evolve, that has to mutate, that has to be modified, that has to grow. Yes. And there's many theories about this, which I write about actually in Shiva's hologram. There's many theories about this. And, and, and a lot of physicists and neurobiologists have said, well, if there is to be a mass awakening, a collective awakening of consciousness, mm -hmm. it will have to be a mutation. And the fastest way that can happen is through a virus. And the fastest way that can happen is through a genetic virus. So 
I think um, certain people took that onto the dark side with COVID and the vaccines, but then other people can understand that if we genetically mutate, we can evolve tens of thousands of years in years. And a lot of the recent genetic research has shown us this, that we can actually evolve much faster than what biology has believed we can evolve through through our DNA. They believe that oh, it will take many generations for humans to evolve and certain bloodlines to evolve and so on. It will take a long time. No, what we've discovered now is that it can happen in days. It can happen in weeks. It can happen in months. It all depends on what work you're doing inside yourself and the frequency you're vibrating at or the frequency you can put yourself in, even for a short period of time, you can rapidly elevate or heighten your frequency, do certain things when you're in that frequency to mutate or change your genetic patterns. And then you may drop down in frequency, but afterwards, something will have changed in you. So actually your baseline, your fundamental frequency will actually be higher. So these kind of alchemical tools have been here in both the Eastern tantric alchemical tradition and in the Western magical tradition as well. So I find it really fascinating that we're on this precipice of like this genetic mutation evolution and that there's all kinds of forces pulling us one way or the other, you know, it's like, mm-hmm oh, yes, take this vaccine and this will actually, you know, stunt certain parts of you or you can have another virus or another vaccine, let's say, or something that's naturally introduced into the bloodline or the gene pools of humanity. And then you yourself will mutate and evolve into a higher state of consciousness, not just consciousness, but also in your body, in your neurobiology, in your embodied self in your embodied state and that's really interesting to me because to me you have to be embodied particularly in this age we have to be embodied it's not just about sitting alone on a mountain top or you know having profound meditations or whatever it is that's all good but we have to embody it in our body in our dna how we are in the world and how we carry ourselves and what we do with our families and our children and our relationships and so on that's kind of all the embodiment part of it. And DNA is a massive part of that as well. It's amazing to me because during COVID that I had come across the Russian machine, which is a scalar energy machine that Dr. Jerry Rivera de Genio had created. And it's just frequencies. And he believes the same thing to upgrade your DNA using scalar energy. And I would do it he would play it live every other Saturday and I would do it. And really, truly it was during that time, things started to quickly shift in my life where, I mean, Mm. I was not understanding. I still, my human brain wants to know, why do you know this information? What's going on here? What are you receiving? This you're just some normal person in Aurora, Colorado, you know, picking your kids up from school, you know, reading some ancient text all of a sudden. Who are you? But yeah, it happened fairly quickly, I must say. And my dreams were filled with things that Shanna doesn't know. And one of the things I found this morning when I was looking at your book, and maybe even your first chapter, Cosmic Egg. Mm-hmm. Aeon, yeah. Yeah, I had a dream 
about, I'm sitting next to this river and this man comes and he's got a hood on. So I can't see him very well. And he holds out his hand and it's an oyster shell and it's packed with stuff. And he tells me, this is the yolk. Okay. And all of a sudden, um, a drop of water from the sky hits the yolk and goes into the water. And there's all these like little tadpoles. There's life. Mm. Wait a minute. Who are you? I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I ended up discovering this past year, he came again and he told me his name was Oso. You know, I mean, I have been wondering all these years, you know, and that, but that was all I got that night. But my journey ended up quickly going into the Gnostic Gospels, which the Gnostic Gospels reminds me a lot of the work that you've done. Mm. What I had come to learn also was the divine feminine that is spoken in some of the Gnostic Gospels is known as Sophia or wisdom. Mm. And one day I'm walking past my TV and it's Jeopardy. <laughs> Jeopardy's on. And it says, what does the pearl stand for in the oyster shell? And mm-hmm. I just immediately had the flashback of the man in the shell. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, the person answered and said, wisdom. Mm-hmm. I, these sort of things started to add up over time. And I realized he was showing me creation. You know, he was showing me so many things that started to, you know, unfold from this one dream that made no sense to me. I ended up discovering Oso in Hebrew could mean like a man like Jesus. This is how my journey has been with little synchronicities, but they all started to connect. This is how I guess I have to learn this. Yeah. Yeah. You're learning in a spatial and holographic way, which is actually to me the most authentic using that word the most authentic way to learn through your direct experience your immersion in that vibration and the unfolding of that that is the most authentic way and that's exactly how i transmit learn receive decode write so all the books that i have written have all i've all experienced them and seen them as holograms before i write them Wow. So I actually see and experience a hologram and then I and then I immediately start transcribing or downloading or that information, that wisdom, that knowledge, that beingness, that frequency. That's how I write. And so some books I could write really quickly, and some books take a long time. So my most recent book, Shiva's Hologram, that took me 20 years. I experienced a hologram 20 years ago. And I only finished it last year. Whereas other books like The Christ Blueprint, for example, which is very much about the Gnostic stream of consciousness and uh, in southern France and Mary Magdalene and the apostles, really? what they taught and what they lived. Yes, that was my first book. Actually. Wait a minute. What? I yeah. missed that one because I've been focused on the Shiva hologram. <laughs> oh, wait. Wow. So that was my first book. And so, yeah, that was a hologram that finished writing. I finished writing that within three months. So get that book. And that was a really powerful meeting communion uh, between myself and Mary Magdalene and a few other 
of the Christed masters as well. And what I what I discovered and, and just not discovered, but actually lived, is that there's such a striking parallel between the Western Gnostic teachings yes. and the Eastern teachings as well. Yes. They actually complete each other, is my experience. So, for example, like this year, what I'm teaching in workshops and online courses is Shiva and Christ. So I'm teaching in Aramaic and in Sanskrit. So I'm teaching the Aramaic seven I am mantras of Yeshua, Christ Yeshua, which are very powerful vibrational alignments into the divine blueprint, I would say, the divine matrix that Yeshua came here to um, anchor and transmit and deliver to people, to support people. And then Shiva's hologram, which is Shiva's divine blueprint of sound. And so I'm actually teaching, sometimes I'm teaching one one day and then I'm teaching one the other day. So I'm just going back and forth. And to me, it's like totally seamless. Like, yes, there are different languages, there's Sanskrit and then there's Aramaic, but they're like two keys into the same puzzle. And actually through doing one, I understand the other one better. And then doing the other one, I understand the other one. So to me, it completes itself. Whereas if I was just doing one of them, If I was just doing the sounds of Shiva in Sanskrit, yes, it's all there. But because I am also teaching and the I am mantras in Aramaic, that informs and actually elevates my understanding of the sounds of Shiva and vice versa. So I find that really interesting. And it's something that I've always known is that there is an original teaching or an original consciousness or what we call an original dharma, original religion or original source or original teaching that is a combination of like the ancient Egyptian Gnostic and then Eastern uh, Vedic Indian. And actually they are both parts of it, but you have to go even further back in time and history to find the original source of both of them, which was a whole and complete teaching. So for me, in my direct experience, and I definitely know that with all my students as well who are learning both the Shiva and Christ, the Aramaic, is that they're experiencing that as well. They're experiencing this kind of seamless journey into the source of both of those sacred traditions and both of those lineages which birthed both of them so they're both like two halves of the same coin and you can't if i was just approaching it from the western perspective or just a gnostic perspective or just a christian not christian but christed gnostic christed perspective i wouldn't get it i wouldn't get it all and the same with the sanskrit with the vedic shaivite shiva lineage tradition if i was just approaching it from that perspective I wouldn't get it all. I wouldn't understand it all. I wouldn't be able to embody it all. And I wouldn't be able to teach it fully. So that's why I found in my direct experience, which to me totally makes sense and is totally organic and natural. Hey listeners, did you know that Sense of Soul is a part of the Ethereal Network, a group of like-minded podcasts like Sense of Soul who share the same passion to help raise the vibration of the planet and the consciousness of humanity. And I'd like to introduce you to one of those podcasts, Soul Nectar, hosted by Carrie Hummingbird, who is also part of Sense of Soul's network of lightworkers. This is Carrie Hummingbird, host of Soul Nectar Show. And I invite you to come over and check out our conversations about all things essence. 
gather around the campfire with us and share stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, the great mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us to a deeper understanding of ourselves. We'll see you over at Soul Nectar Show. So go check out the Soul Nectar Show and check out Carrie on the Network of Lightworkers affiliates page on senseofsoulpodcast.com. Now back to our guest, Raja Shrima. She created Kali Ki Reiki. I had her on last spring and we just immediately connected and she wanted to teach me more about Kali. And so all of this, you know, meshed together for me, for the divine feminine in any ways, which was a very foreign thing for my Catholic upbringing brain to wrap my head around. Um, of course, you know, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, women are making stupid mistakes and <laughs> doing ungodly things. <laughs> to man. Yeah. You know, because there was a lot of things you have to shed, you know, a lot of things I had to grieve, you know, a lot of things I had to rewire in my brain. I had to create that space for that light to come in for a disunderstanding. And it took a long time. It took, you know, I went into a very quiet place by myself through all this because I felt I couldn't trust anything I read online or books I was reading. Um, And I was lucky and fortunate to speak to some of the great ones like J.J. Hurtock, who translated Pista Sophia, him and his wife, and different people, you know, beautiful people that helped me along my journey. But I almost had to shut it all out to truly make sense of what I was experiencing for myself because I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted to experience it for myself to where I could say, this is my truth, mine. Yes, exactly. And that's why it's really important to have very little media input. I mean, for me anyway, I have very little media input. You do. um, social media or other media input at all because sure whatever what i've understood is that whatever everyone's saying is true like everything is true for them in that moment in that state of consciousness everything is true so you cannot argue with anything this is it's so silly to argue about anything it's like (laughs) no you're you're right it's true it's true for you in that moment and guess what when you shift your mode of vibration, it won't be true for you anymore. Yeah. So what's good for you in this moment will be bad for you in the next moment. And what's bad for you right now will be good for you in the next moment. And this is how sound works, which is so interesting, both for Eastern and Western traditions, is that there's the hologram of life, the hologram of the universe, a hologram of reality is seen as operating in four modes of sound. So when you move from one mode of vibration sound to the next, there's a whole new set of rules. There's a whole new wavelength. There's a whole new sphere of sound and vibration and understanding and perception that you're in. So what made sense and what was really true for you in the previous mode is now no longer true because you're in a different mode. You're in a different vibratory sphere within yourself. In, in a fourth mode, which is para, para means a supreme or the beyond or the total. It's a silence from where all sound comes from. The purpose of us using sound as humans through mantras and prayers and so forth is to go into the silence mm-hmm. that sound comes from. 
So that's yeah. our journey. If we're using sound as an alchemical tool, that's really the ultimate purpose of sound is silence. And then if we look at it the other way, so from silence, then we shift our vibration to be able to make sound in a third dimension, which is a first mode of sound, then you can see like the whole spectrum of creation. And so in both the Kabbalah and in the Vedas, in the Vedic Indian tradition, they both said exactly the same thing, which I found quite, well, I wasn't surprised at all because like, you know, sages in both traditions have meditated and used sound in their bodies and in mantras and in different parts of their bodies and in their light bodies and so forth. And they've all discovered the same universal principles and they're simple. There's only four of them to do with sound, but it's the way that you use it that is the most interesting. So at the moment, humanity is only really using one mode of sound, which is a written and spoken word. So what you can hear, what you can write, what you can think words. And of course, you know, you go into social media, newspapers, texting, whatever, that's all the first mode of sound. And that is the lowest mode of sound. People think that's all sound is, but actually it's the lowest. It's the smallest aspect or the smallest slice of the vibratory spectrum of sound. And then you go into the second mode of sound, which works more on pictures, poetry, reiki, symbols, marrying sound and geometry together and using pictures and using certain forms of art, sacred art, to to be able to go into an expanded state where reason and logic no longer really exists and you're floating in this kind of dreamlike ocean of consciousness. (laughs) And then the kids say, Mom, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you got to you got to move between both fluidly and and master both of them, you know. And, and so that's a trick. Um, but there's ways to do that, and, and many of the sacred traditions in the Tibetan and the Indian and in the Western tradition as well have known this and have really utilized it. You know, using sacred geometry a lot, using sound a lot, and those uh, modalities are becoming very popular again. You know, and I always wonder, is certain things a trend, right? Because some celebrity decides to do them. Or for like myself, a lot of it I've received in dreams, symbols I've received in dreams. And then I see, oh my gosh, this is a very ancient symbol. Holy cow, this is a Rosicrucian kind of symbol. And maybe it's a mixture of both. It's funny you mentioned the Rosicrucians because the Rosicrucians themselves say that every couple of hundred years, their wisdom and teachings come up to the forefront and then they recede back again. Mm-hmm. But it's the same with everything. When he, when the frequency of humanity is ripe, mm-hmm. then certain things can be shared with them. But it's when it's not ripe, then obviously you can't be. Yes, you don't receive it. Yeah, people yeah, are too busy it. to receive it. You know, yeah. one of the things early on, I looked at Sophia's name and I saw my the beginning of my last name is, it's Vav, V-A-V, Vavra. Bavra, R-A is the last part of the last name. It stuck out to me, of course. My brain filtered it out. What what does Vav mean? Like, you know, in Yodhe, Vadhe, you know, the name of God, the sounds of God. So I started learning about the Hebrew alphabet. And I, when I talked to JJ Hurtok and his wife, they have a whole CD or a few CDs where they 
chant the name, different names of God. Mm-hmm. And they said, you should be chanting your name. Vavra. Wow. I never thought to do such a thing, you know, but it's very powerful to chant my name. It all brought such very profound meaning to my last name. (laughs) And my first name means the um, possessor of hidden wisdom. Mm, I said, boy, I must have done all this before I came here. (laughs) Yeah, you've created a code in your name that you can use to wake up. (laughs) Isn't that interesting, though? I would have never thought. I always hated my name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a culture, isn't it? But really, you love your name, but it's a culture that kind of twisted the perception, isn't it? I mean... I do now. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you should, because the name is so important. In, In Sanskrit, we call it Nama Rupa, name and form. So name creates form. So any form that you can perceive in any dimension has a name to it. And any name that you can sound has a form to it, has a geometry to it. So they both come together. They're both indivisible. You cannot have a name, i.e. a frequency or a vibration without a form. And you cannot have any form without there being a frequency or a name or vibration to it. So if you can tune in to the frequency, the name of any object or person and be able to tone that correctly at that person or object's resonant frequency, then you can change that person or or that object. So this happens in a third mode of sound. So I've, I've done this as well, where... If you can locate the frequency and the mantra, the name of an object or a place or a person or an environment or whatever it is, anything, because everything has a name, everything in creation has a name, therefore it has a specific frequency, therefore it has a mantra to it as well. A mantra is just a, a cluster of harmonics coming together or a cluster of seed syllables coming together like vav tov he for example that's just a cluster of seed syllables coming together so when you know that and you can tune into that when you get into that state of frequency that's when you can manipulate or change certain things so obviously the greatest thing you want to change is is yourself So if you have a name like you do, which is a sacred name, because it's in one of the sacred languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Sanskrit, Tibetan, ancient Egyptian, so forth, are all sacred languages, then you can really transform yourself in a very direct, very simple, very easy, very graceful name, a very graceful way. And this is why so many people change their names to Sanskrit names. So you can get like Claire Smith, Suddenly yeah. becomes Ma Kali Devi. Rasha Shri Ma, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. so they're instantly elevating their vibration. They have something to aspire to. Because obviously she's not fully embodied as Kali Devi yet. But maybe one day she will be. So she has something to aspire to and something to resonate with and something to remind herself when she's not in the you know greatest of spaces or state of consciousness or she's sad or whatever it is i always wondered that i also saw that a lot of people put raw at the end of their name 
some of the names of the eight Egyptian families. So there's eight Egyptian mm. families of netters or gods. So Ra, the appellation Ra, signifies that you are a member of that family of eight gods. Ooh. And then if you were to use, and then there's other syllables for the other seven groups of gods. They call them uh, god families. So if you have Ra in your name, it's highly likely that you have that. Like my son, for example, his name is Shunyam Ra. Ooh. And he told me his name when he was in his mama's womb. He told me very clearly and very specifically that that was his name. And so I should that should be his name in this dimension, in a third dimension. So that's his name now. And um, so he knows. In fact, he's only asking me the other day, and I told him about it. I said, that's one of the Egyptian families of gods. And he has a, a very strong connection to Egypt anyway, from right from when he was born. So, you know, he's going to step into that vibration more and more as he grows up and be able to utilize those gifts because each of those Egyptian families have specific gifts mm -hmm. connected to those eight netters or eight gods or eight principles of creation. Okay. So they all have specific gifts. So if you know what they are, then you can... If you're not already, you can tap more into those gifts very easily because it's well, yeah, already. Yeah, I need to know. <laughs> you're already <laughs> attuned. To it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and I cannot believe you wrote about the Gnostics too and Mary Magdalene. I'm, I'm writing a book on my journey as well. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, it's important that I think more and more different perspectives of Sophia and this wisdom come out again into the world because obviously it's been repressed for a while but it now it's coming out more and more yeah. and actually something you said too that silence mm. i've come to that silence lately for the mm. longest time it was so fire it, it was so it was seeking and it, i was receiving right and left and it was overwhelming and it was crazy my brain was like whoa let me catch up and then all of a sudden it was like it just was like done. And it was almost like someone finally stopped the carousel or something or, you know, from going around and around. It was like, and I just had to like ground myself again. And it just was. And it just is. Perfect. Yeah, you've got it. Now you just need to deepen into that, you know, every day keep diving immersing into that so that because in silence there is no you so just keep resting in that silence and yeah i mean one thing that i share with people is uh in sanskrit we call it the guya prema the prema guya which is a secret cave of the heart mm. which is silence and so once you go into that place it's very soft and is totally silent in that softness. And that's the only real place one ceases to be or one dissolves. So there, there is only silence. Mm -hmm. The mind can never be silent. It can be quiet. It can be peaceful. But it's only that secret cave of the heart that is that pure silence from which everything comes from and which everything dissolves back into as well so it can only come with that with that heart and it's not 
it can be in a, like a really ecstatic love if you want it to be, but it's really just a very simple, silent softness. And that's it. And you can sit in that, well, I can anyway, forever. <laughs> because it's like, that's home. Like, where else is there to go? There's nowhere else left to go. Once you're in that silence in the heart, and not just a peace in your mind, right? or even just a, a quietness in your body, but when you're in that silence, which is only accessed through the heart, the cave of the heart, game over. That's it. That's but you have to, yeah, really get into that secret cave of the heart. So in India, there's, you know, it's understood that there's three aspects to the heart chakra, not just one. So you have mm -hmm. like the hridayam, it's called, and then you have the anahata. Anahata means silence or the unstruck sound. That's the silence. And then you have the prema guya, which is the secret cave of the heart. So you have to bring all three together to really enter or access or that silence i.e you don't enter it you you dissolve and there is silence uh, english is quite a bad language to describe some right. some things without poetry at least anyway unite all the different parts the trinity of your heart the heart trinity and mm. this is not really well known um, for some reason in the west i don't know why but anyway it's um You've got to unite that higher heart, the lower heart, and the secret cave of the heart together. And in that process, you have to obviously have cleared out, you know, whatever stresses or pains or karmas or causal karmas or uh, samskaric seeds, we call them in India, which is like, the you know, the seeds of your deepest karmas. You have to clear all that from your heart in order to really then enter the secret cave of your heart so there needs to be some healing but then there also needs to be some some connection between the three yeah. parts of the heart as well and there's you know specific meditations you can do that and specific sounds actually you can use to go into the secret cave of the heart and connect it into the rest of the heart and the rest of your nervous system as well because um, it's all interconnected. It's not just the heart by itself, but your nervous system has to be online as well, it has to be aligned into your heart. So this is why in, in the East, they do a lot of preparatory practices of healing and clearing and clearing the body-mind, getting the Kundalini going in the spine because then that affects all the organs and that affects obviously the movement of energy going up the spine and the descent of energy coming down from the crown into the root chakra and so on. So ascending and descending waves of light and Shakti or Kundalini. So all of that is, is actually pretty important because then that clears and opens the pathways to ultimately just lead you into the total simplicity of silence. <laughs> And you're right. It's hard to speak of it without being kind of poetic. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking there's so many things that we are working through because there's been so much separation, separation of religion and people and colors and races and gender. So right. the unification of the divine feminine and masculine, we are at our 
at our best when we are able to embody both. Yeah, exactly. It's like clothes, isn't it? You can put on the masculine clothes, you can put on the feminine clothes, and then you can wear no clothes and be totally naked and be neither. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, that's fun because there's total freedom. Then yeah. I can be fully masculine. Mm-hmm. I can be really feminine if I want to be. And then I can be neither, which actually to me is the greatest freedom. But in order to get there, yes, you have to have healed and integrated the masculine. You have to have healed and integrated the feminine and, and so on. So yeah. there has to be the ancestral healing. There has to be some sexual healing as well involved in that. And there has to be you know other aspects connected to all that as well. But I really enjoy being neither of them because then I have the freedom to be either one. It's kind of spontaneous. It can happen at any moment. And that's a freedom and the joy. It comes in that spontaneity of life, you know, just being alive and being able to express whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. You know, that's fun. And then I don't have any limit because like I'm not thinking. I have no belief that I'm a man. I have no belief that I'm a woman. So therefore, I can totally express the feminine. I can totally express the masculine. Or I can just sit here and do nothing and just express beingness. Or just be yeah. that. Right. That to me is freedom. That and that's super joyful. To me, that's really being alive because I have no limits. I have no limits on who I am and my expression. I can do anything whenever I want. I don't have to look a certain way. I don't have to have a belief about, oh, this is what a man is supposed to do. I mean, I may do that, but I may also not do that because I don't have to do it. I'm not straight jacketed into being yeah. something. But I can be it at the same time and enjoy it. That's a paradox. But there's no compunction. There's no duty. There's no obligation. There's no belief. There's no straitjacket. There's no, I have to do this because I'm a man. So I really enjoy that because it just brings more fun. And it really surprises and startles people as well because I look very masculine. I am. And I can be extremely masculine, very deeply masculine. But then I I can really surprise people going, oh, I love that color. That dress is amazing. I'd love to wear that dress. (laughs) And women are like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, I love that color, that shimmering silk of purple rainbow chiffon. That's beautiful. I wish I could have shoes like that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Women get such great choices at clothes. Men get such poor choices at clothes. I'd love to be a woman because you get to wear such amazing clothes and jewelry and look so fantastic and pretty and beautiful. It's like men, it's very hard for men. I mean... (laughs) I have to go to India to get a lot of my clothes made because only there can you get the colors. And of course, it's custom made, so it looks really lovely. And the, and the materials are really great. Yeah, you're it's right. It's like though. only there yeah. that you get the colors. You know, you get these amazing colors. And I love wearing amazing colors because it's life. You know, you're living life. Whereas most men are like wearing very staid, particularly in Europe. Huh? It's like very blue, black, gray, you know, da 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 Oh. Like how boring and shirts and this and that. It's like oh, that's boring. Come on, let's like you know. Yeah. So a lot of men are like missing that feminine kind of je ne sais quoi. You know that that aliveness, that like spark, yeah. like beauty and. I mean, those colors are vibrant vibration. Exactly, you're just expressing different emotions, different parts of yourself, mm-hmm. and that's fun. It is fun. Are he, are you are you human? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm mesmerized. I'm feeling the energy and I'm just thinking, wait a minute. 
<laughs> did, did they send me a direct angel? <laughs> I'm very human, but with a capital H, because I feel like people have um, forgot what human is. Human with a capital H is divine. There is no separation. This is what Yeshua came to share with us and, and many other masters and beings and beautiful, ordinary, normal people walking the streets as well. Mm -hmm. It's like being human with a capital H is divine, is an angel. What's a separation? It's just a filter that's been created in the mind because we have come being led to believe that being human means being flawed and being this and being that and being sick and being this and being that. Yeah. No, being human is is divine. Why is there a separation? There is no separation. Yeah. There I is agree. no separation. We are humans. Let's enjoy it. We can enjoy every note on the spectrum of creation. If there's like an infinite number of notes, we as humans can play them all. But the angels cannot. The gods cannot. We are in a more elevated position than them. And people are looking up to the gods and the angels and the Egyptian deities and whatever, and the Indian deities. I never have looked up to any of them because I know I'm in a better position than them. Because you're experiencing, I yes. Because I have more potential than them. Mm -hmm. I can be one with God. They cannot. They cannot do that. They are in a fixated position. We as humans have access to everything. We have the potential for everything. Deities do not. Angels do not. Um, demigods do not. They do not have the potential we have. So in one sense, they're jealous of us, you know, because they know that's what, and a lot of them want to incarnate as human because then they know they can end their cycle of incarnations as being an angel or a deity or a deva or a demigod. But as, as long as they're a, dem, a demigod or a deva or a devi or a god or a deity, they're stuck. They are absolutely stuck. They cannot go. They cannot evolve. Evolve any further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so I have compassion for them because, like, I know people really look up to you. I don't, you know. Hello, brother, and I wish you a human birth so that you can also experience the greatest suffering, the greatest love, and the silence that it all arises from, and then the end of everything. <laughs> That's truly amazing. Yeah, I'm not sure if you are human, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I do feel like you are a code. You are a code, Shana. And that code is decoding, but there can definitely be an acceleration in that decoding, i.e. the wow. embodiment of the code that you are. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. It took me this many years to figure out this one little tiny thing. And, of course, I've not had any teachers through it, you know, because I really just felt it was um, so intimate. And it was so, mm. yeah. Thank you so much. I don't know if you're human. I don't know where you came from, but I just feel so blessed that I've, been able to be in your presence and you have taught me so much oh, thank you for having me and thank you for being the wonderful being that you are and i'm very excited to see 
what unfolds for you and what great gifts you can give to other beings that see feels really inspiring and stimulating and and, and actually feels really fun <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. i feel i feel you <laughs> where can where can everyone get your books you have like eight books or something like that right and you also have music thank you um yeah i've made a lot of music i've written a lot of books book that's coming up shiva's hologram the maheshwar sutra so that's available in all good bookstores on amazon um if you just type that in you'll find it on sale in every single country in most good bookstores and online as well my website is padmaaon.com p a d m a a o n.com where i have a lot of live events and online courses both in the aramaic christ agnostic tradition and then also in the very deep shiva vedic indian tradition as well using sanskrit so i use a lot of sound in my work because it's very direct and it really is very simple and that's what i love about it direct simple super consciousness and anyone can go there if they're ready and so i use a lot of sound i wouldn't call it sound healing healing can happen but i wouldn't call it sound healing i would call it sound consciousness or sonic transformation so transformation through sound so that's something i really love doing i do lots of other things too but it's all there on my website and on youtube as well i have a lot of videos and some free music that i put on there as well for people connected mm-hmm. to the divine mother and many other themes and all that music is actually frequency tuned so i've used very specific frequencies mm-hmm. or like bundles of frequencies or bouquets of frequencies because it's like flowers isn't it so mm-hmm. bouquets of frequencies are very carefully selected by me and my producer and then we put it all together with sanskrit chants and aramaic chants and so on and kind of blend it all together in a real kind of 21st century way so there's a lot of music there as well and on my website as well so please have a browse have a look have a listen have a read and enjoy yeah and i did subscribe i got a divine feminine is it a meditation it's exactly that it's a frequency tuned series of divine feminine chants in multiple sacred languages tuned to very specific uh, feminine frequencies and womb frequency as well so it's an hour long meditation it's that is one song that is just on loop so mm-hmm. it just will take you into that vibration over an hour so yeah, well, it's very beautiful it's one of my favorite tracks actually because it's really beautiful well i know what i'm doing this afternoon goodbye <laughs> Thanks so much for for spending time on Sense of Soul. I know you probably have to get back to your heavenly realm. Um, but thank you for coming <laughs> down. <laughs> thank you so much, Shana. It's a real pleasure and a joy to speak with you and everyone who's listening. And I really wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks, dear. Thanks for listening to Sense of Soul Podcast. And thanks to our special guests for joining me. If you want more of Sense of Soul, check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one or help support Sense of Soul Podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening.